Man, isn't that what we want to be? Isn't that what you hear from our students? Man, there's only a few times I feel like where you get to experience the joy of just hearing a crowd take over our worship set from the band. And church, it's just so fun to see just how in love you are with Jesus. It is such an honor to get to lead a church where you are truly able to say to the Lord, you are my one desire. We just want you. And God, we're thankful for what you're doing in our students, but we're thankful for what you're doing in our hearts and our own lives. God, because we want to lead the way. God, we love you. And I'm just so thankful to have the opportunity to be able to team teach this message today with Pastor Kerry. And we're really talking and continuing this series, Personal Trainer. And it's, and it's all about really being able to just trust God in our everyday lives to build those spiritual muscles. And today we're looking at the story of Elijah and, and how he was built for the battle, how he became a man of passion who was willing to stand against unbelievable odds at risk of his own life. And I want you to know that we have a senior pastor in Pastor Carrie Shook who is just like an Elijah, who stands against the culture, who stands for passion, who allows the Lord to build those spiritual muscles. And, and I am so thankful for his leadership. I love him. And you know, this weekend, he's out of town this weekend and he's continuing to grow our church's influence and also had an opportunity to go and learn and continue to grow his leadership. But he's so passionate about this series that he's like, I have a word that has to be spoken. He has shared that on video and is allow, gonna allow me to kind of bring it to an end. So let me just pray over the service and let's get into it. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your leadership. We also thank you for the leadership and the passion of our pastor, Pastor Kerry. God, we pray that you would speak through this message. God, as there are just multiple generations in this room, that each of us would figure out what it looks like to be built for the battle and to allow you to just train us up for what your purpose is for us today. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, we're concluding the series, Personal Trainer, as we're learning how to let God be our personal trainer in life. And today we're going to see how God wants to build your faith muscles and fill you with the fire of passion so that you'll be built for the battle. I'm calling this message, Built for the Battle. And God wants to build you for the battles you face. God builds you personally. He puts things into your life. He builds your personal faith muscles and your personal passion specifically so you can face those specific and personal battles that he knows you'll be facing in this life. And I just want you to know your personal trainer God wants to build you for the battle so you can overcome any battle that comes against you. Now we all face battles in life. Maybe you're battling with anxiety or depression, or maybe you're battling through an overwhelming problem in a relationship or in your business. Maybe you're battling a financial crisis in your family. Maybe you're having a crisis of faith you're having a bout with doubt and your doubts are right now winning the battle. Or maybe it's a battle with addiction. Maybe it's a battle with a giant problem that just seems too big for you. I want you to know today, if you're a Christ follower, there's no battle too big for you because there's no battle too big for your God. But we have to let God build us for the battle. So we're gonna look at a miracle in the Old Testament where God sends fire from heaven and he burns up the fat of complacency and he rekindles the passion of an entire nation. All because of one man who was built for the battle. 
it was a time when the people of Israel had let their faith atrophy, so they lost their passion for God. You see, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had brought idol worship to Israel. They encouraged the people to not only worship God, but also the false gods of Baal and Asherah. And as the people started to worship idols, and these idols were so destructive, vile form of idol worship, it polluted their faith. It began to steal their passion. But there was one man that let God be his personal trainer and build his faith muscle strong, the prophet Elijah. And God trains Elijah, he builds his faith strong, and then he says, okay, Elijah, you're ready. You're built for this battle. It's a big battle, but you're built for this battle. I'm gonna win the battle through you. And God tells him to go to wicked King Ahab and tell him there's gonna be a showdown at Mount Carmel. So thousands of Israelites gather at Mount Carmel to watch the big showdown. It was the Super Bowl. On one side is 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. That's 850 false prophets. And on the other side, one man, Elijah. But Elijah is ready for the challenge. His faith has been built for the battle because Elijah has been personally trained by God. And over time, God has burned away all the fat of complacency out of his life. He's filled him with a fire of passion. And he has specifically prepared him for this place. This moment wasn't too big for him because his God was bigger than the moment. And never underestimate the power of one man filled with passion. For those of you who are managers, you get this, don't you? I mean, I would rather have one person on our staff who's filled with passion for their job than 100 people who are just doing a job. Because nothing ever great happens without passion. Whether it's great music or great art or anything, you take passion out, there's no success, no productivity, just mediocrity. Nothing great happens without passion. And here Elijah is standing all alone and he makes this proposal. He says, let's build two altars. You guys build an altar to your gods. I'll build an altar to the Lord God. And whoever answers by fire, he's the true God. And the people said, sounds good to us. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they, they pray to their gods and they pray earnestly, sincerely, and there's no answer because there are no gods at all. They pray for hours, but nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah turns to his personal trainer, his coach, his power source. And he prays this amazing prayer. It's one of the greatest prayers prayed in the Bible. And it brings fire from heaven. So would you stand in honor of God's word? And we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 18 today, beginning with verse 37. Just follow along with me. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I believe God wants to send fire from heaven today to burn up the fat of complacency in our lives and build our faith and rekindle our passion for God, for life, and rekindle passion in marriages, in businesses, in relationships. I love that. They put down the, the sacrificial 
cow and God burned up all the fat. And he wants to burn all the fat spiritually off of our lives to fill us with his passion. So how does God want to build our faith muscles and fire up our passion? The same way he did with Elijah. So let's go back to chapter 17, where we get a behind-the-scenes look at this training process that God takes Elijah through. In 1 Kings 17, 3, God says, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Now focus on that word, hide. God tells Elijah, you need to hide away and spend time alone with me or you won't be ready to step out in faith. That's the only way you're gonna be ready for the battle. You need to get alone with me. You need to hide and spend time with me. You see, that's the secret to being ready for your battle. So God can build you for the battle. You gotta spend time with God. God is the most passionate one of all. And the more time we spend with him, the more passionate we become about life the more we get direction for life, the more our faith muscles are built. But the problem is we're usually just too busy to spend time with God. And that's because we think we can handle it. You're not built for the battle unless you get behind the scenes with God and let him build you. And too many times I've run out there for the battle on my own without spending time with God and getting his power and his direction and his preparation in my life. You know, that's the most important habit we can ever develop as Christ followers is the habit of a daily quiet time with God, spending 10, 15, 20 minutes with God, reading the Bible, writing down in a notebook what you're learning, asking God to strengthen you during the day and give you the power to live it out. That's so important. A while back, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. His name is Eddie Leo, and he's the pastor of the largest church in Indonesia. And it's an amazing church, and they have thousands of people, but it's the largest Muslim country in the world. And so they have to meet in so many different facilities to, so they won't be a target for the extremists. And, and I asked Pastor Eddie, I said, you know, what's the secret? All this growth in this Muslim country, all this growth and all these miracles you're seeing. And he said, it's really pretty simple. He said, everyone in our church, thousands, read the same two or three chapters in the Bible every day. And then we write down in a notebook what we're learning. And then we all go out that day to try to live out whatever we learned there in that passage. Whatever the passage said, we go out and we concentrate on that to do that that day. We put God's word into action. And then at night, everyone calls their accountability partner and said, hey, how'd you do today? What'd you get out of that? And, and how'd you live it out today? To hold each other accountable to challenge each other, encourage each other. And he said, that's the secret, just spending time with God, then going out, hiding away, then going out and living it out. He said, that's really the secret. He said, the problem with you Christians in the U.S. is whenever you start talking about a daily quiet time, everyone says, oh, I know all about that. Yeah, I've heard about that for years. Yeah, I know all about having a daily quiet time, spending 10, 15 minutes with God every day. Yeah, I know all about that. I want something that's new and fresh and deeper. And he says, You've heard all about it, but you're not doing it and you're not living it out. Sometimes we just got to get back to what is so clear in Scripture and what we know. But I'm telling you, the enemy will fight nothing harder than you spending time with God. I mean, he'll get you to do everything else. He'll distract you and he'll get you busy doing urgent things. You feel like you don't have time to do that. You run off into your day. You don't spend time with God. I mean, he will fight you because he knows if you spend time with God, you'll be fit for the battle. 
And if you don't, the battle's gonna be too big for you. So many times in my life, I've run out to do battle without spending time with God. And you know, God says, I love you. Carrie, I want you to spend time with me because I love you, I care about you, and I want you to be built for the battle. I got great battles for you to win. And I want you to win them. I love you. I want to get to know you. I want to spend time with you. And so I just challenge you this week. If you've kind of strayed away from, get back to a daily quiet time. Just, you can use our devotionals on our website. Uh, do whatever, you, you know, just take a chapter of the Bible a day. Whatever you want to do, but write down what you're learning and say, God, give me the strength to live it out today. And you'll become more like Christ each and every day a little bit and God will give you direction. Now, the idol Baal was supposed to be the God of agriculture. But God says, it's not gonna rain in Israel for a very long time because I'm gonna show everyone who the real God of agriculture is. And so there was this long drought while Elijah was hiding away. While he was hiding away with God, the drought was going on and God was just providing for him every step of the way. And there can be a drought going on all around you, circumstances all around you can be crazy and chaotic like our world is today and God can give you peace right there in the valley. God can give you his provision right in the middle of the drought when we spend time and hide away with God. And so God told Elijah, I want you to go to wicked King Ahab and tell him I'm gonna bring rain, okay? I said there's gonna be a drought for several years and now I'm gonna say there's gonna be rain and there'll be rain because I want everyone to know who the God of agriculture really is. And so I want you to look at 1 Kings 18, verse 19 and 20. Because 1 Kings 18, 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. I want you to focus on those two words, present yourself. So Elijah was supposed to first hide himself before he presented himself. The problem is we like to present ourselves before we hide ourselves and we're not ready for the battle. We have to get along with God to be filled with his passion and power. And then we go out and we'll have passion in our lives, in our marriages, in our schools, in our workplaces. Well, Elijah spent time with God hiding away and God gave him direction. When we don't have God's direction in life, we lose our passion. But God gives Elijah direction. He tells Elijah, to say one more thing to wicked King Ahab. Look at it with me in 1 Kings 18, verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So Ahab, after he hears this, from Elijah that God wants him to gather all of his false gods and priests. Ahab got all his priests of Baal and Asherah to come together at Mount Carmel for the showdown. Now here's the point. Elijah didn't just make this up. He didn't just come up with the idea for the showdown. He didn't just say, I got a great idea. This would be so cool, God. I'll face off against all these prophets of Baal and, and you know, you're gonna win the battle and man, I'm gonna look great. Yeah, what a great idea. No, God told Elijah to do this. He didn't just run off and do this. God spoke to him. And that's why when we hide away and spend time with God, we begin to hear his voice. 
God has never spoken to me in an audible voice. He knows that would freak me out. He could if he wanted to, but the way God speaks to us most of the time is with a still small voice in our hearts, you know? He, he starts nudging us in a direction. We, we start feeling the Holy Spirit of God directing us and, and speaking to us, and it lines up with God's word. And many times, I've just been having my quiet time reading the Bible, and God will just give me a passage. He'll give me a promise that's exactly what I've been praying about. Oh, God, okay, I get it. I've been praying for direction and, and wisdom, and this is it. Thank you. And sometimes God will just nudge me in my spirit. Don't go that way. Go that way. You, you know, no, don't say that. You feel like saying it. Don't do it. And sometimes I don't listen to the Holy Spirit, and I just do it anyway, and it causes all kinds of trouble. But God speaks to us. And when we get along with God, he speaks to us. We know what we're supposed to do in life. We have a clear direction. We may not understand everything, but we start stepping out and watch God open doors rather than being stagnant. Now, this is the Super Bowl of showdowns, 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah and 400 more prophets of Asherah. So it's 850 false prophets against this one man. And there are thousands of Israelites. Almost all of Israel gathers there at Mount Carmel. And I mean, the stadium is full. They get tickets to the Super Bowl. And by the way, I'm not at the Super Bowl. Um, just, just wanted to clarify that because there was no one in our church, and I'm sure there were a few that have tickets to the Super Bowl, that um, felt God's call to give them to their pastor and be generous. No, nobody felt that. Nobody called me. Somebody missed God's will. No, just kidding about that, but. Elijah, though, he steps up in this Super Bowl environment. I mean, it was a Super Bowl environment. And he says this to the people in 1 Kings 18, 21. Elijah challenged the people, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. And nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. So the people were sitting on the fence. They were totally undecided. They were wavering back and forth. One day they would worship God, the Lord God. Then on the other days they would pray to the idol of Baal that all the pagan nations around them were praying to. And they worshiped Baal and prayed to Baal for rain. And then one day they would pray to God for rain and they would worship God. It was like, they're gonna cover all their bases because I'm not sure who is real here. I'm just going to pray to everyone, and I think that somebody's going to be real and it's going to work out. But Elijah steps up and he says, you got to make up your mind. It is time to decide. It's time to commit. If Baal is really God, then surrender totally to him. Be totally passionate about Baal. Live all out for Baal. Give everything you have to Baal. He's saying, if you believe this false God is God, then go for it and see what happens. But if the Lord is God, then you follow him with all your heart. No more messing around. Surrender everything you are to him. Stop playing games with God. It's time to really commit. It's time to surrender, to go one way or the other, but don't dare be in the middle sitting on the fence. Don't sit on the fence. You see, this is the picture of a believer who acts one way with a certain group of friends and acts a complete other way with another group of friends. And I know students, there's such pressure, you know, to act and conform 
just to do what everyone else is doing in the crowd, but that's destructive. That will lead you down a destructive path and you'll lose all your passion for life. And that's why it's so important to commit, to surrender. See, it's the picture of a follower of Christ who one day acts like a follower of Christ and the next day, you'd never know it. It's the picture of someone wavering back and forth and not really being totally committed to Christ. And Elijah said, hey, it's time to decide. You follow God or you follow Baal, but it's time to live passionately because even if you live for Baal, do it passionately. And I'll at least respect that. I think it's really dumb because he's a false God. He's not real, but I don't respect what you're doing right now. You're just sitting on the fence. And what did the people do after Elijah gave them this amazing and powerful challenge of truth? It says the people said nothing. They just kept sitting on the fence. You see, they were so used to sitting on the fence, it was like they weren't even alive. They didn't even know what they wanted. They didn't have any convictions to, in their lives that fed their passion. They weren't even alive, really. They're just going through life. They're just going through the motions without experiencing the emotions of life. He gives this passionate challenge that was worthy of their life, and they just say, well, we'll wait and see. We're going to kind of watch this thing and see how it plays out. They're going, we're just going to wait it out. We're just going to wait. Yeah, we may just totally commit to God one day. And Elijah said, it's now or never. They just kept sitting on the fence. And that's the reason why most people don't have any passion, because they don't have any convictions. And convictions fuel passion. Convictions are different from beliefs. Beliefs are something you hold to. Convictions are something that hold you. They go to the core of your being. Convictions are the foundation that fuels passion. With no convictions, there's no passion. If you're always wavering in what you believe and what holds you, your core convictions, you don't have any, then you're just gonna wander through life in chaos and confusion. But Elijah says, hey, whatever you're going to believe, believe with all your heart. Because it's ridiculous to believe something with half your heart. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be half-committed. He said, be totally committed. And Jesus said it in this way. In Revelation chapter three, verse 15, Jesus said, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold, you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant. You make me wanna vomit. You brag, I'm rich, I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in fact, you're a pitiful blind beggar, threadbare and homeless. Do you want to know how to make God throw up? Be lukewarm in your faith. Do you want to know how to make God sick to his stomach? Be half committed to him. God says, I would rather you be all out against me and be a Satan worshiper than to be half committed to me. Now, did he really mean that? Yeah, he really does mean that. Why? Let me give you an illustration. Just imagine there's a train and it's carrying needed medical supplies to a hospital on the other side of a mountain. And as it's going down the track on a mountain pass, it derails and half of the train goes off the track. The other half of the cars are still on the track. And so not only can that train not get through to get the medical supplies that are needed to the hospital, but no other trains can get through. No other trains can go on that track to get the needed supplies in. It would have been better for that train, that first train to go completely off the track so other trains could get through with the needed supplies. 
And God is saying, it's better for you to be all out against me than to be half committed to me because you're keeping people from going down the right track. Because a passionless Christian is bad advertisement. If I'm not living with passion and someone looks at me and says, oh, is that what a Christian's supposed to be? I don't want that. A passionless Christian, a half committed Christian is a bad advertisement for Christ. And God says, I would rather you be all the way off the track going the complete wrong direction than to be halfway on and halfway off. I mean, it's time to make up your mind. It's time to be totally surrendered, all out committed. It's time to decide. It's time to commit. Most people go through their entire life without ever wholeheartedly committing to anything. We make these half-hearted commitments to a hundred different things that won't matter five years from now, much less for eternity. But we don't fully surrender, make that total commitment, all that commitment to the God of the universe who loves us so much. Well, Elijah steps up and he says, hey, it's time. The showdown starts, the kickoff happens, and Elijah tells the prophets of Baal to go first. You guys pray to your God and let's see if he sends fire from heaven. So they pray and they pray and they pray and there's no answer. And then Elijah, he begins to taunt them. This is pretty amazing to me. This is the first trash talking that ever went on in 1 Kings 18, 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping, must be awakened. He starts saying, maybe you're just not shouting loud enough. I mean, Oh, yeah, you need to shout louder. Maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. And, and the real translation in Hebrew for one of those words is, maybe he's sitting on the toilet. That's exactly what Elijah said. I mean, this is some trash talking. You see, he's saying, why didn't this God strike me dead if he's real? You know, why, why didn't, you know, there's nothing to it. There's nothing to him. He's not real. And then Elijah says this. Well, this is what happens after he said that in 1 Kings 18, 28. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. So the prophets of Baal then began to cut themselves because they wanted to get the attention of their God to say, look how serious we are. We're cutting ourselves, we're bleeding. We're abusing ourselves to get your attention. And let me just say this. The God who created you would never call you to do anything to prove that you love him by hurting yourself. To prove that you love him by being involved in self-destructive behaviors to show how awful and lowly you are and how undeserving you are. He wouldn't do that. He's the one who died for you and he gave his life for you. And all you gotta do is admit that you need him. He's the one that shed his blood so that you don't have to. He's the one who gave himself for you and he thinks you are beautiful and wonderful and valuable. You're so valuable that you're worth dying for. You are his treasured possession. And I say that because I know there are a lot of teenagers today that really struggle with cutting. And it's just so prevalent among young people today. And I just wanna say if you're struggling with that, God wants to heal you, God wants to help you, tell somebody. Tell somebody, don't be ashamed of it. We all struggle with things. Just tell someone that you trust, maybe a student pastor. Tell someone that you're close to and let them know what you're going through and what you're struggling with because there's some great counselors here. 
we got a great counseling ministry. we got some here at the church who can help you through that. And to see that God is a God who loves you and you're valued and you're treasured and you're beautiful and he shed his blood for you. That's the God we serve. Now, the enemy, Satan, he's the one that lies to you. He wants you to self-destruct and he's the one who's doing it. He, he wants you, he wants to harm you. He wants to destroy your passion and steal away your faith. That's what he wants to do. So he's always telling you that, you know, you're not valuable. I mean, you just screw up all the time. But what you do is you just go, my God loves me and I'm gonna step into his grace because of his forgiveness and his grace. Yes, I mess up at times, but I'm stepping into his grace. Yes, I need him. I need him to save me. I need him to strengthen me. I need him. But he's given me his grace and he calls me a child of God, righteous in Christ. He doesn't condemn me. He heals me. Now look at 1 Kings 18.30. 1 Kings 18.30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And so it's Elijah's turn. And he says to everybody, come as close as you can. So you can see this. And he repairs the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. You know, for years they had neglected the altar of God to worship God, the one true God. And the altar had been torn down. And the first thing you have to do for God to build or rebuild anything in your life is you got to rebuild the altar in your life or rebuild the altar in your marriage. Rebuild the altar in your family. Rebuild the altar in your heart. And what that means is you gotta put God first again. Just surrender to him and say, God, I have let the altar, your altar, be torn down. And I wanna build the altar back because I wanna worship you. I surrender to you and your free gift of grace. But I wanna rebuild the altar. I wanna start putting you first in my marriage. I wanna start putting you first in my family. I wanna put you first in my business. I wanna put you first, but I have to admit, I've let the altar just disintegrate over time. There's not much left, but I wanna rebuild the altar. If you wanna rebuild a marriage, you gotta rebuild the altar and put God first. If you wanna rebuild your emotions, your damaged emotions and heal from hurts, you gotta rebuild the altar before God can rebuild in your life. If you wanna rebuild a business, a dream, you gotta first rebuild the altar to put God first in your life. Because God is a rebuilder, but he always starts with your heart. And then in 1 Kings 18, 33, it says, he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill your four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. So before Elijah prays, what does he do? He just starts dumping buckets of water on the altar. I mean, he doesn't want them to ever be deceived that this is a man-made fire. He wants to make sure they know only God can do this. He just makes the battle bigger so God gets the greater glory. And I want you to know some of you are in a big battle right now and it feels like it's getting bigger and bigger and the enemy army against you is getting bigger and bigger and the odds are stacked more and more against you. I just want you to know the bigger the battle, the more glory for God. Because you'll give God credit, God, I can't do this one. You know, if you get me through this battle, if you win this battle, it's gotta be you, God, and you see God come through and you give glory to God and others see it and give glory to God because it can only be explained that God did it. The bigger the battle gets, the greater the glory 
for God if you're built for the battle and you trust him and you step out in faith. And so Elijah wanted everyone to know, hey, this is God. This is not my fire. This is God's fire. We need God's fire. And I just want to say at the end of our service today, we're going to have our pastors and prayer teams out at the Cross Fountain at both of our campuses. And I want you to come out there and just come out to the cross. Come out to the cross and just maybe you want to share what you're struggling with and get prayer. Share what's on your heart and get prayer. Maybe you just want to say, you know, I really need to rebuild the altar in my life and get prayer. We want to be there for you because it's time to come to the altar. God's calling all of us to come to the altar to put him first in a whole new and totally surrendered way. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Mark because he's going to tell you how it all ends and how God does the miracle in such a powerful way. So welcome, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Kerry. What a great word. And what a challenging word, right? Just to think about that, that call on our lives to say, man, no more riding on the fence. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I want to be a Christian who lives out the calling and the purpose that God has for my life. And church, I want you to know that this is what we've been pouring into our students all week long, but it's what God has been pouring into your life, your whole life long, that you have a calling on your life, that you have a purpose for your life. And the truth of God's word is, is that you will never be filled with passion until you are connected to your purpose. And we look in the story of Elijah here in front of Ahab and taking on these 850 prophets and risking his life. And the reason he was so passionate is because he was so confident of his purpose. And that's where our confidence can come from as well. And, and Elijah really revealed his understanding that he knew what his purpose was in the prayer that he prayed to God. Let's look at that together in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. It says this, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Here stands this one man, and he knows his purpose. He is willing to put himself in a position of being in harm's way, willing to stand against the culture because he is connected to the purpose that his life is meant to be used for one thing, to turn people back to God. Woo. What does it look like to wake up every morning and like Pastor Kerry said, to open up God's word a little bit or to at least open up your heart to the voice and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and say, God, transform me today and help me to live out your character. Help me to live out your purpose today in a way that people will see my business. People will see me in my marriage. People will see me as a student respecting my parents. They will look at the way that I'm living my life and they will look at the hardships that I'm walking through. 
the loss that is in my life, the turmoil that is in my life, the financial hardship that you're allowing me to walk through in my life. But God, my passion does not come from being financially stable. My passion is allowing both the good and the bad that you have in my life to be used by you to turn people back to you. How do we get there? Where do we find that kind of passion? That's what we've been praying for and talking about this week and it's what we're longing to see God do in our lives. But oftentimes you see one of the things that robs our passion is, I think if you're anything like me, I love to be busy. I allow busyness of all the things that I've got to do in my life. You know, like I got a lot of stuff for work I got to do. I got a lot of reports I got to turn in. I got a lot of phone calls I got to make. And then I got my kids practices tonight and I got to spend time doing that. And these are all good things, but I allow them to be elevated to this level of extreme urgency. And in fact, I bet you are a lot like me that we're really good about letting everyone know how, just how busy we are. Oh, I'm so busy and, and I've got preschoolers in the house and so my life is just so busy. It's so hectic. I'm going everywhere all the time. You just, it's so hard and unbelievable to believe how busy they are when they're preschoolers and they're elementary school. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize it. it's even harder when they're in elementary school. And I got to get to all of their games and practices and these things. And then, oh my goodness, now they're teenagers. It's even harder. Harder just to get them to go to their games and activities in school and to get them there and to be motivated and to do these things and to maintain their schedules and keep things going. And now they're out of the house and we're empty nesters and they're in college and it's even harder because now they're at a distance and I gotta remind them and I gotta keep them going. And not to mention now I've backfilled all of my time and we're always urgently moving around and we've got all these times for our own passions and God says, that's not your purpose. And that's why you're busy, but you're not fulfilled. And I wanna fulfill your life. I wanna fill you with my peace and my purpose, but it is only gonna come from when you remember that no matter what you're walking through today, good or bad, if you will let me use you and change your heart, I will use it to turn people back to God and you will experience a peace and a fulfillment that can only come from me. That's what he's bringing us to. Elijah understood that we were made for worship. We were made for a relationship with him. And it makes me pause and just ask myself this question, is my heart, is the thing that's in my heart, is my heart really dedicated to turning people back to God? Because if it is, then we'll find ourselves praying like this, that we pray for miracles in our lives, but not just so that we can receive the miracle of healing so that God might be glorified through the healing. But even as we walk through the suffering, we say, God, you'll be glorified as I continue to show people around me in my suffering that I know that there is a promised land that is awaiting me where there'll be no more hurt or pain or suffering or dying or death or mourning or crying. So God, even before you deliver me and not even knowing what your deliverance will look like, I will praise your name. So God, I'm allowing you to make, put me in a position where I have to stand against the culture. And that's what God's calling us to do. And and when you get that way, when you pray like that, oh my goodness, is the Lord longing to answer your prayers. And when you see Elijah get his heart right, and he prays that way, just let's just go back and look at the verse that Pastor Kerry read on how he answered the words and the prayer of Elijah. It says this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Man, is that not what we're praying for in this place right now to see God's fire fall on a heart? to see someone get filled with passion, to see someone get filled with God's purpose in their life. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. The wood the stones and the soil and licked up all the water in the trench. 
You see, when you pray the kind of prayers that are about bringing glory to God and not glory to ourselves, he's gonna answer that prayer and he's gonna answer it beyond your wildest dreams. Now, as a student pastor, I've been around all types of bonfires. We've lit all kinds of stuff on fire, okay? There's lots of things that can burn. I didn't even know that can burn. Students will find it, okay? And no matter how hot all of the fires have been that we've lit at campfires around the spaces, I've never seen a fire that's burned up the soil. Have you? Because that wasn't a man-made fire. That was a God-made fire. And when God lights a fire in someone's heart, you'll know the difference because it can't be stopped and it'll burn up anything in its path and it'll continue to move and carry out the purposes that God has designed it for. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for that God kind of fire that can't be stopped. That's what we're praying for. And we know it's God's fire because when the fire fell, all of a sudden these people who'd been riding the fence, these people that had been living passionless, following a pagan king, listening and being bent to the culture, When the fire from heaven fell, the people fell and their hearts were broken and they turned back to God because when God's fire falls on you, the mark of it is humility. And we remember our need for God. We remember the great love that we have from God. And that begins to be what is the marking of when God's fire falls is that worship comes. It just flows out of us which makes me just stop and ask myself this question, and I hope you will as well. God, what is the goal of my life? What have I allowed it to become? Because God, whatever I have allowed it to become, I'm sorry. If I've allowed it to be about anything else other than bringing you glory and turning people back to you, God, I'm sorry. I love my kids, and I know that you have me as a purpose to raise my kids and to be at their events. But God, I never want rushing around for my kids to stand in the way of being able to be in my kids' lives to bring you glory. God, I'm so thankful for the jobs and the marriages that you've given me, but God, I never wanna use my job and my marriage as an excuse to keep me from being focused on allowing you to be the central purpose of that marriage and of that job to bring you glory in all that I do. And we might say, well, Elijah can do that. He was a great hero of the faith. Just turn forward one chapter. And Elijah is sitting in a great depression because oftentimes when God's fire falls in your life and you experience a great high, it's normally followed by a great low. And those of you who battle depression, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But aren't we thankful that God doesn't leave us in that low? He'll come and meet us right there in that space and in that place. And he'll pull us in and he'll draw us back to himself. And he'll surround us with church and give us people who are gonna be there for us and meet us there. And if that's where you are today, I encourage you, turn to the resources that God has given you. Turn to church. Yes, Elijah struggled. But that's the best part of the story. He struggled and yet God used him. Mark, I'm, I'm beyond this moment. I've lived my life. It's, it's these students in here who it's their turn. Do you not remember the hero of the Bible, Caleb, whom God had promised him a mountain? And at 85 years old, he said, I'm going to go and I'm gonna take that mountain. I'm gonna win that mountain that God promised me because I'm just as spry and young and ready and my heart is just as devoted and prepared for the Lord to use me today as I was when I was 40. It doesn't matter where you are or how old you are. It's about whether or not you get up tomorrow and you let your life be used for the purposes of God. He wants to use you today. It's not too late. 
to let God begin to continue to change your marriage, to start getting up and having a quiet time with your spouse, to start praying together. It's not too late to start starting some new habits for you and your family with your kids. It's not too late to start using your business in a way that honors the Lord, to become single focused. You cannot be double-minded and have this kind of passion. You cannot be about raising your financial portfolio and bringing glory to God. You've got to become one-minded and he will take care of your portfolio. You've got to be all about one focus. No double-minded standards. I love what the great theologian Leonard Ravenhill said when he said, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man or one woman that is completely surrendered to him. And it makes me stop and say, God, could I be that man? God, can you use me? Will, will you be that man? Will you be that woman who's gonna wake up tomorrow? Will you be that student that's gonna wake up tomorrow and allow the Lord to start using your life? Will you get up and have a great attitude even though I know you're gonna be exhausted and not make your parents have to ring the alarm seven times and flip on the lights and rip the covers off that you'll get up and you'll say, God, I'm ready to be used by you today just like you used me at Reality Weekend. Because God, I wanna be that student who's completely surrendered to you and lets you fill my life with purpose. I wanna be used by you, God. I wanna let you use my life to turn people back to God. Because God, if the wind and the waves will obey you. When the storm was raging, God, if creation will obey you, then God, I want you to look at our hearts and I want you to know that as a church, we will obey. And church, I am so excited about what God's doing in the next generation. Watching them worship and seeing what God's been doing has been amazing. If you don't know what we just came from, I wanna give you just a little glimpse. Would you check this out and just see this? Just see what God was doing. Check this out. That's what God's doing in their lives. And I'm so proud of them. And church, hear me. We never would have been able to do it without you. I love you so much. We had 236 students follow Christ into salvation this weekend. God's fire fell. And so did our students. They fell to their needs. And I'm so proud of our students. And I'm so thankful for the way that they're raising up and that God's calling them into greatness. But it's not their time, it's our time. I'm praying that I will be an example for our students. I'm praying that our parents, that we will continue to set an example for our students. As grandparents, we will set an example for our students and that they will see God's obedience and God's passion being lived out in each and every one of us because their time is coming, but today they need an example to follow and that example is us. And I can't wait. And I love doing ministry with you. But I love doing ministry with Jesus. And if you're in the middle of it right now, don't you forget, though you may be scared, you're not sure exactly how God's gonna work things together and how God's gonna restore that relationship with your student. It may seem like the water's pouring in all around. But you can't be sunk when you've got Jesus in your boat. Would you stand and let's worship together. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.